Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning. Welcome in to the podcast. Today is November the 4th, 2021. I'm Jay, as the man said. And a number of topics to talk about today. I want to start off talking a little bit about uh, labor relations with respect to, to firefighters, fire departments, management, that sort of thing. And uh, I had a question sent in to me, and it said, you know, um, the person wrote in and said, is it normal for our, uh, our local to have, uh, you know, cordial relationships with, with, uh, uh, with management, with the chief and so on and so forth? And so here's my, my first response to this. Number one, if you have questions about the IAFF, about the locals, about all those sorts of things, go to the people who run the local. Failing that, send something to the international. They know it better than anyone. Now, I'm going to make a comment, but it's not an official comment because I don't officially have any relationship with these people, anybody. Um, but uh, as a former IAFF member and someone who sees the value in it, um, I feel like my comment here is going to be pretty well received. It, it's a general comment, but Anytime you're talking about labor management relations, the first question you have to ask yourself is where are you located? Um, you know, if you're in a state that has a very strong background in labor, um, it, it's completely different than if you're in a state where uh, right-to-work state where uh, labor is grudgingly sort of accepted or just not accepted at all. And by that, I mean organized. So, so that's some of the questions you have to ask yourself. You know, where are you? Um, you know, how strong is your local? How long has it been around? Um, how, many, how many wars has it been through? All those sorts of things, I think, are important, important uh, questions. But uh, for the sake of this, since I know where this question came from, the area, it's here in the South. And so here's my answer. Um, very often... It is far, far easier to get things done with a cordial relationship rather than an adversarial relationship, in large part because, uh, in this case, management uh, oftentimes doesn't have to recognize anyone. They can say, nope, you're not coming in the door. These are the rules. This is what the law says. Have at it. And so... You know, this isn't, this isn't a, a, these things aren't movies. This isn't, you know, the biography of Jimmy Hoffa. It's not the biography of the Teamsters. It's not Norma Ray uh, starring Sally Field. It's a real-life uh, relationship that is fraught. Uh, you know, missteps uh, can make a tr- tremendous difference. You can go from having a decent relationship to having a bad relationship too sweet. And so there are people out there who believe that, you know, the best thing we can do is is we're going to put on some brass knuckles and we're going to wade in and we're going to start throwing haymakers. 
The problem is you can't throw haymakers at people who decide not to be there, and that's certainly something that can happen. So it's not unusual for local officials, uh, you know, the officers and locals, to have a good relationship with, with the management. Now, I want to differentiate a good relationship from carrying somebody else's water. That's completely different, and that's not what I'm talking about. But it's always good when, when leaders from, from the organizations can get together and talk about things. Here's something else that happens, too. You know, no matter what local you belong to around the country with respect to the IFF, there are people who believe that they can do it better. And oftentimes, they believe it strongly. But when it comes time to step up, very often, they, they're the first ones to retreat and say, I don't have time for that, or no, nah, I'm not going to waste my time, or I'm too busy. Yet, they want to offer uh, uh, criticism. But, you know, it's not just in a farce, in a farce, it's every, in everything. There are people who talk a lot, and then there are people who do a lot. And, uh, you know, you have to figure out who you're going to be. But as to the question, look, um, anytime you sit across from each other, uh, think about your own life. Anytime you sit across from, from another person and you want to enter into negotiations, um, it's far better to have respect for each other and understand what's being said than it is to come in and not understand each other and basically say, you know what, we'll meet you in court. Of course, you can do that. But in my mind, the very best relationships and the most progress is made when both sides are willing to discuss things. Of course, there may come times when you hit a certain point and guess what? You know, it's on. And, and, those are tough decisions. I guess in some cases they're tough decisions. In other cases they're not. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there are many people out there who would say that it's far, far better to uh, have an uh, adversarial relationship than, than to be able to work together and try to come together to, to figure out what's going on. So, in response, is it normal to have that kind of relationship? Yes, it is. Um, is it a bad thing? Your mileage may vary, but typically, no, it's not. And uh, you have to go on from there. Now, if you decide to, to move on from that, best of luck. You know, I've been looking at uh, aerial devices for a long time. Um, I have a, an affinity for aerial devices. And, and uh, uh, yesterday I, I was able to, to look at a um, a schematic of a of an aerial device at a department that I really respect a lot that they they just ordered, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I think when people say you know what's changed in the fire service uh, dramatically over the last twenty years, um, certainly one of the top three things that comes to mind to me is apparatus innovation, uh, the comfort of these apparatus. You know, driving and riding in these things are far more comfortable than than. Uh, apparatus used to be the safety equipment is you know are the yeah the safety the built-in safety equipment is is far superior and you know there are lots of things that that you see advancements in here i want to particularly talk about aerial devices um one of my favorites is is the reintroduction or, or perhaps that's not the right word but the 
explosive growth of uh, of mid mounts, and uh, because a, a mid mount gives you so much versatility, and uh, you know, and of course, it all depends upon your situation, where you're located, you know, your geography, your call volume, all these sorts of things. Yes, that all plays into it, but you know, the the mid mount is so versatile. And coming uh, from from places where tight streets were the norm, uh, it just gives you a ton of flexibility, and it allows you to maximize your scrub area. And you know, I, I see lots of, of of platforms out there, right? Rear mounts, and and you got the and you got the platform hanging over the front of the over the front of the cab. And look, there's there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you absolutely need. There, there's no, you know, if that's what you need, then that's what you need. But when we're talking about uh, drivers and when we're talking about driver safety and all these sorts of things, you cannot discount that platform hanging in in your field of vision. And you know, the of course you can overcome it. People have been doing it for a long time. Uh, but it's like it's like cranes up in the woods. Uh, I don't know if you if any of you've seen uh, these uh, logging cranes that operate up in the woods uh, around America doing doing logging. Um, you know, with the crane hangs off the front, and they have the visibility is just decreased. I mean, it's it's horrific trying to look out the front of these things, and that's what happens with a platform too that's hanging off the front. You don't have that with the mid mount. Now, you may have a bucket hanging off the end a little bit too much. Some people don't like that. Um, you know, the mid-mount's not the cure-all. It isn't. But I'm happy to see sort of an explosive growth in that. And, uh, I, you know, recently and, and just the other day looking at one or yesterday, uh, it's a Pierce. Um, and I just got to tell you, I mean, it's a sharp truck. And... Uh, uh, you know, specking it is so important. You don't want to be that department that says, well, you know what, we need a fire truck. So, you know what, we want lights and we want sirens. And then I don't know, put the other things on it. Um, it's always good if you have a, if you have a good department, you're always going to have good people that can spec it for you. Um, and, you know, this particular department, they know their apparatus extraordinarily well. And, and I just think they've done a great job in specking it. I know they're excited to get it. And, uh, you know, if if you're if you like tractor drawn, that's awesome. If you like uh, you know if you like your rear mounts, that's fine. Rear mount ladders and things like that. But just those platforms hanging off the front, it does create that obstacle for a driver to have to see through. And uh, I guess the good thing some people will say, well, you know what? I know right where it is because it's right here, as opposed to hanging off the back. And again, uh, your mileage may vary. I've always liked the mid mounts. Uh, I drove mid mounts and and I liked them. I also drove rear mounts and they're fine. You know, you put a stick up, hey, you get you're in business. Um, not knocking mid mounts. I'm I mean rear mounts. I just don't like the platform hanging off the front, and uh, you know, don't make any bones about it because I think it creates an obstacle that that doesn't need to be there. And uh, with your mid mounts, uh, just so much so much positive. So many positive things that, that can that you can use on the fire ground with those mid mounts, and that's something that I want to get into. And this is part of what I wanted to talk about today. It leads into this. I'm going to start doing some episode 
specific podcast where, for example, I'm working on a podcast right now, hopefully within the week. Um, I'm going to be talking just about aerial devices. I'm going to talk about it for 40 minutes. We're going to talk about aerial devices and nothing else. Then move on. I also have a a firefighter and fire code podcast that's going to come up. There are too many people out there who who believe that, that fire codes and being able to enforce the fire codes as simple as, as going to a, uh, a quick class and, and being given a book. And from liability standpoint, your city, town, whatever, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so we're going to talk about fire codes and firefighters and what to look at as a firefighter uh, if you happen to do code inspections because it's a little bit different than just following the code. And you have a lot of people out there who are, you know, they check the box thing and boy, they're so rigid that, you know, if you run into them, they're going to break apart. And those are the wrong people for codes, by the way. Uh, some people think, no, those people excel at it. No, they don't. They don't excel at it. And I'll tell you why. Because they couldn't ad lib a fart. These people are so rigid that, that it's like, oh gosh, well, it says intumescent and it says one point, you know, it says inch and three eighths, whatever, making up numbers here. And, and that's an inch and three-sevenths point nine or something to that regard. And those are the worst people to have. They're going to end up, uh, your town's going to lose business, number one. Um, and number two, they're typically, you're going to have lots of complaints on them, which is not necessarily a bad thing if they're doing their job. But uh, some people just can't think outside that specific code. So we're going to be talking about that. Also, we're going to talk about, and this is one that I've been working on for a while. I actually just finished an article about it. And uh, so I want to do a podcast about it, and it's reality on the fire ground. And uh, what we see when we're looking at, at pictures and videos and in person. And I want to share some fires that, that I've looked at over the past two and a half, three years maybe. And just some awful, awful decisions. Um, and not knocking any any department or anything, but just bad decisions on the fire ground that, that end up costing you and can end up costing you personnel and certainly civilians. And uh, so that's coming up too. And these podcasts are going to be ep- subject-specific per episode. Um, I'll start off the podcast talking about some general news and then dive right into uh, those particular subjects. You know, we talked about the Orlando Fire Chief. I believe his name's Barksdale. Um, highly regarded guy. He uh, was in North Carolina, I believe, and got into it in a restaurant with the owners or something. And at any rate, you know the story. Um, and it took a long time, actually. I, I really figured that uh, he would resign pretty quickly or be terminated. And he finally did resign. But it's interesting in as much, you know, and I've had guys asking me the same question. You know, if that had been a firefighter, when would they have been terminated? And you know what? Probably uh, very quickly. Um, uh, I guess the bottom line for Orlando uh, and the brothers and sisters there is that he did resign. Um, I wish him well. I do. Um, I've heard about him and seems to be a, a good guy, made a mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, wish him well and obviously wish Orlando well too. They, Orlando's a, I mean, that's a heck of a town. Um, uh, it's a busy place. Uh, lots of interesting, uh, lots of interesting areas there. Um, you know, obviously you have the, uh, uh, 
the influence of, of major companies like Disney and, and so on and so forth. And, and then they're just like any other uh, mid-sized to large city, actually large city. Uh, you know, and they do good work down there. I've, I've been down there several times, and I guess it's been maybe 11, 12 years ago. I was down in Orlando for a week, and uh, I ended up uh, staying at a fire station or going by the same station every day for three or four days. And uh, it was an interesting place and lots of good guys and uh, just hope their, you know, their leadership in the city gets them a, a, a good fire chief in that uh, and they can keep rolling forward. I'm sure they will. Uh, this is interesting. Um, I believe it was in Nashville at a rescue mission. Uh, apparently they, they didn't have any heat or, or that's what I've heard. I haven't actually seen an article yet. Um, but uh, apparently they didn't have any heat. It was cold last night. And uh, one of the people staying there uh, decided that, you know what, we need to warm up. So he set a fire. And, uh, you know, fire went out. And this person, I guess, was, was uh, arrested by Metro uh, Police Department over there. Um and, you know, it, it's interesting, and, and this is actually a good teachable moment for, for young firefighters. Um, anything can happen anywhere. And, you know, when, when people are uncomfortable, people are going to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. And in many areas of this nation, uh, people will set fires to stay warm because they're freezing. And sometimes your mind... Uh, gets overwhelmed, and and people will set fires in places they shouldn't, especially in the in the winter months, obviously. And so, it's good to teach young firefighters to say, "Hey, you know what? You know why these people are doing this?" Because here's the thing: sometimes you pull up on a fire that's been set by somebody trying to keep warm. It's not like a regular fire. Often, yes, the fire still burns and all that kind of stuff. But here's my point. Um, People will try to get away from the elements. They'll go deep into buildings. They will find little places to hide. They will set a fire to try to keep warm. It'll get out of hand. And, you know, bad things happen. They do. And uh, oftentimes, especially, and this wasn't a vacant building, but in vacant buildings, uh, obviously the things aren't being taken care of when they're vacant. Nobody cares about the, the shape of the building. And, and so for younger firefighters, it's absolutely a learning moment uh, to look at it and go, you know what, that could happen anywhere. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the absolutely wonderful fire commissioner of the Boston Fire Department, uh, Leo Stapleton, the commish, uh, in his books, he always said, warm weather is a tit. And he's right. It, warm weather is something that, you know what? It's nice. It really is. Uh, you start getting in the cold weather, and uh, people are going to find ways to stay warm. And uh, so anyway, a teachable moment, as most things are. And this one comes from a rescue mission where a guy's like, you know what, I'm cold. And as one of my friends po pointed out in a, in a, in a text message, uh, he said, you know, I bet they have heat over there now or blankets. And he's absolutely right. Sometimes people have to do things to get others' attention. Obviously not advocating setting a fire in a building. Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, that, that goes without saying. Uh, you don't do that.
but people will go to great lengths that they otherwise wouldn't go to to try to stay warm. Uh, I received a question, and I'm typically saving those for a Friday, but I thought I would thought I would answer this one as well, just because it it uh, it seems timely to me, and it's all about fire hose and, and winter conditions. And uh, uh, this is a young firefighter. He pointed this out that he's been on the job about six months, and uh, he wanted to know, um, you know, what what's the best hose for winter conditions? Um, you know, here's the thing: the best hose is the hose you have until you get new hose. Um, I, I'm not really going to answer that on here. Actually, I, I actually. I pulled up the wrong question, actually, and that was not the one that I wanted to answer. Uh, where's the other one? Bear with me a second. Where did it go? Oh, here it is. Yeah, this is, a to me, a timely question. Um, our, uh, my company officer, this is the guy, very young guy. My company officer um, tells us that when we're going on calls, that uh, we should pay attention to the to the surrounding areas we're responding. He says that uh, you never know what you'll see going to a call, and uh, you know you pick up things that, that you wouldn't otherwise pick up. I feel like I should be concentrating solely on the call we're going on, and so I'm wondering what your opinion is. I think your company officer is is making a good point in that. Um, when you're going on calls, let's say you're going on EMS calls, first responder calls, or uh, an alarm call, whatever the case may be, um, some of your best intel is gathered on other calls about the way houses are shaped, where people are sleeping, what kind of, of uh, organization or lack thereof they, had in, they have in their houses or businesses, or their hoarding conditions. Uh, the shape of houses, you know, architectures, people like different things. You don't always have the same house, even if it looks the same from the exterior. You know, what what type of apartments are these? Do they maintain them? There's all kinds of intel you can pick up going on other calls. You might ask your company officer, but here's what I don't think he means. I don't think he, he means that if you're heading to a, to a structure fire right now, for you to focus on every building that's going by. Your point's good. You do need to focus on where you're going, what the call is, what your assignment is, all those sorts of things. But in my opinion, what he's saying is that it helps to be taking in your surroundings. You must know where you are at all times. And because our senses are, we have great senses, you know, we do. But they are limited. And so we want to take in information so that we can use it later. There are things that you might see on the way to a structure fire. The wind, for example. Is it raining? Weather conditions? Uh, hazards? Um, you know, one of the things that I did, and I was taught this about, uh, I guess the first time I jumped on a fire truck by my brother. What companies are out? You know, are we going to have a long wait uh, for somebody to come in and, and give us a supply line or, or stretch that second line or throw throw a ladder? Um, or are we all in the house, you know, cause, and this is the way it was then every call went out, same thing all night long. So you, 
typically knew where others were. Those types of things are important. It's intel, and it's intel you can use today, tomorrow, and the next shift. Um, You might never use it, but that's okay too because now it's up in those memory banks, and it's easier to recall it if uh, if you've you know inserted it in there, if you've uh, downloaded it to your brain, so to speak. So yeah, I, I think your company officer's making a good point. Although I do acknowledge what you're saying as well. Um, just keep your eyes open and uh, and ears open and all, and also that nose. You know, you can smell things that you can't see. That's the way it goes. It's going to do it for today. We will be back tomorrow on Friday with lots of questions, or at least ten or eleven questions. Um, Until then, stay safe.